So I think that's all I have for right now. But Father, we uh, are going to be in a very wonderful chapter that talks about the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. And this is our future, those of us who are in Christ. And we look so forward to it. And Lord, it should cause us to rejoice tonight. This is real and it's recorded for us. Um, so that we know what our future is. And, and so many people in the world, it's uncertain uh, how the world is going to end for them, how, how their lives are going to end, what life is all about. And we know that, that we have a living hope because of Jesus Christ who came and died on the cross for us and rose again from the grave. And we know, Lord, that we belong to you, that we do have that spirit of adoption, not the spirit of fear, but the spirit of adoption that we can cry out, Abba, Father, and that we have a godly inheritance that is ours, an eternal inheritance. And we look forward to that, but most of all, to be with you in eternity and to be in your presence. Oh, how glorious it's going to be. So I pray that our hearts are stirred tonight as we go over this chapter. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, there's, um, you know, people, there's a lot of interest in how the world is going to end. And we kind of hear a lot on that subject uh, even today. I remember in, in the 70s and in the 80s, uh, you can go clear back to the 50s, some of you that are old enough, that you remember in school that used to have drills uh, when the Cold War was at its height and, and have drills of, you know, in case of a nuclear attack or something and you were hiding under your desk. I just barely missed those days, but I remember that there are those who were concerned, those who built bunkers, you know, in case, uh, as you know, of a nuclear attack as we entered into the nuclear age. And even when I was young in the 60s, 70s, and through the 80s, during that time of the Cold War, that there was concern of nuclear proliferation, and we need to do something, and we need to limit nuclear production, and, and the, the world was afraid of that, that we're going to blow each other up. And then all of a sudden the Cold War came to an end. And even though there's more nuclear nations that are out there, you don't hear so much about that today. But what we hear today is climate change. And there are those, as we find ourselves in election year and those who are candidates, uh, that some of them are talking about in 12 years, we're going to reach this point of no return. And uh, there are those who are even speaking and saying that in three years, Miami's going to be underwater, and even the United Nations has made some drawings of, you know, homes underwater in Miami because of the ocean waters are going to rise. And we see that kids, you know, today uh, are protesting. They're walking out of classes, and they're protesting for climate change. And it's amazing how things have changed from kids, you know, diving under their desks in the drill uh, because they're afraid of, you know, there could be this nuclear exchange between between the superpowers and now climate change and, and how our world is going to come to an end if we don't do something drastically. Well, here's the thing. We can hear the talk. We can even uh, see the Hollywood movies and the fictions and the novels that are written about how the world's going to come to an end. But over the last several months, we have had the pleasure of learning how God's plan will unfold that will bring it into this world as we know it, uh, into this world in the heavens as we know it. And we have seen that, that period of time 
called the tribulation period, seven years prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we as Christians, we have the hope that Jesus Christ is going to come back. We're going to come back with him, as we saw in chapter 19. He's going to establish his kingdom. And then there's going to be righteousness that will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. And we are going to see that the desert's going to bloom. There in the book of Isaiah, it talks about how there's going to be, you know, geologic, you know, um, blessing and all that that will take place. Even the Dead Sea is going to have fish in it and they're going to be fishing out of it. And, and Jesus is going to be the ultimate environmentalist. So we know how the world's going to end and what our future is. And we've been blessed to be looking into that uh, even as we've been studying the book of Revelation. So as we do, keep in mind that the outline given to us in chapter 1, when we began this book clear back into January, that, John, you write these things, chapter 1, verse 19, the book of Revelation has its own divine outline, that you write the things which you have seen, that's as John turned and he heard a loud voice of, of many water, and he saw the resurrected Lord standing in the midst of seven golden lampstands, and then write the things that uh, are, that is chapters 2 and 3, the church age, those seven letters to the seven churches, and then write the things which will take place after these things. And that's chapters 4 through the end of the book of Revelation. That's the third part of the book of Revelation in that outline given to us. And as we have been looking at that over the last several months, you can almost say that Revelation chapters 21 and 22 are really a new section of the book. Because you see throughout the Old Testament, the Prophets of old spoke of a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And now in the last two chapters here, we see this new world that will uh, be created and a bright new Jerusalem, our future destiny. So let's begin to look at that as we do read in Revelation chapter 21, that now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. In verse 4, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. As we go into chapter 21, keep in mind that in the previous chapter, in chapter 20, verse 11, that when we saw the great white throne that uh, was there and the one who sat on it, probably speaking of Jesus, uh, because Jesus said, all judgment has been given to me by the Father. But then we read in verse 11, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. So what the Bible teaches, I think, very clearly 
is that the heavens and the earth as we now know are going to pass away. Even Jesus said that the heavens and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Uh, we know that in Revelation chapter 20 that we're told that they were passed away. That we know that um, here we're told in, in chapter 21 the same thing here. And we also know that Peter, that he would write in his epistle that the heavens and the earth as we now know it are going to go up in a fervent heat. Let me read it to you. But the day of the Lord in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10 for those of you who like to uh, note these uh, verses. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And so as we read the scriptures, I think that uh, we see very clearly that the Bible teaches that this world, after the millennium reign, after the great white throne judgment, uh, that, that there's going to be a new heaven and there's going to be a new earth. And, and the heavens and earth that we now know are going to pass away. It's going to go up in a big nuclear explosion. And the Lord's creating a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be a bright new city as well. So as we look at this earth, this earth is a fallen creation, as beautiful as it is. We live in one of the most beautiful places in all the world, don't we? People come from all over the world to come to Rocky Mountain National Park. And we have the privilege to get up and look at those mountains just about every day, don't we? So we live in a beautiful part of the world. But keep in mind as we see the beauty and the beauty of the mountains and the beauty of creation, as beautiful as it is, it is a fallen creation. And, and as we remember, Job said in chapter 15, verse 15, the heavens are not pure in his sight. Uh, the word heaven here referring to the stars, the moon, uh, what's out in space, and the stars that declare the glory of God. And there's going to be a new heaven that's going to be created. And then there's going to be a new city called the New Jerusalem, which is God's chosen city. And of course, we have seen that, and it's quite interesting as we look at the history of Jerusalem today, that Jerusalem has been destroyed. It was destroyed in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians, and Solomon's temple, that magnificent temple that he built, was destroyed, and then it was destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Romans, and the second temple was destroyed. It was the place where they killed the prophets of God. And you remember that Jesus, that he wept over over Jerusalem and he said oh Jerusalem Jerusalem right before his crucifixion uh, the ones who have killed the prophets and how I long to gather you to myself as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings but you were not willing to come and now your house is left to you desolate and you will not see me again until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord so Jesus wept over Jerusalem as in Luke's narrative of the Olivet Discourse that he talks about how Jerusalem, they're going to build an embankment and they're going to come against you and, and you're going to be scattered to all the nations. And of course, that did take place in 70 AD. He told the disciples that the temple's going to be destroyed to where not one stone is going to be left upon another. We know today that Jerusalem is going to be very much the focus in end-time prophecy, the nation of Israel. And that's why we watch Israel very carefully, because Jesus said, when you see the budding of the fig tree, you know that summer is near. Just as you, you see the 
budding of the trees, uh, the budding of the fig tree, know that my coming is near. So Israel, as they came back into the land, as they became a nation once again in, in our lifetime in 1948, we know that that was a super sign that we are indeed in the latter days, that we're in the last days, that we're getting closer to the return of the Lord because they're back in the land. So that end time clock began. It began to tick. And, and those who are students and teachers and scholars of end time prophecy, they will tell us that Israel, the nation, that that's kind of the hour hand, that we're in the last hours as they're back into the land once again. They're prospering just as the Lord said that they would. And in Amos, it tells us in the last chapter of his book of the Old Testament that once they come back into the land, they're not going to be plucked out again. And we've seen God has preserved them and is, is working. It's amazing to see what God is doing in Israel to his people as they're flooding into Israel from all over the world. And, and, and he is working and he is blessing just as the, the old cities and the old ruins are being rebuilt. It's incredible what has taken place. Uh, the agriculture, just as the Bible said, is going to take place. So we see that, you know, the dead bones, again, Ezekiel chapter, you know, 36 coming together. And, and all of a sudden, you know, this, this nation comes back to life. And we also know that Jerusalem is going to be a cup of trembling in the last days. Because Zechariah says that, a cup of trembling to all the nations. You see Jerusalem is in the news almost all the time, isn't it? And here is a city in a little country the size of New Jersey that has more controversy and turmoil. And, and so Jerusalem is the minute hand. The nation is the hour hand. Jerusalem is the minute hand. And then where the temple stood at one time, Herod's temple and Solomon's temple, the Temple Mount area, that 35 acres in the old city of Jerusalem, that's called the second hand. And I would not be surprised as we get closer to the return of the Lord that we start seeing more concerning the Temple Mount area that's in the news that's going to bring, again, upheaval to the world. And, and, and the world's going to look at it and it's going to bring division and Jerusalem again being a cup of trembling to all the nations. Matter of fact, in this new election in Israel, that there's even talk among some of the candidates that want to be the prime minister, that they want to build the third temple. Um, there's, there's all kinds of things that are taking place that as we look at Israel, as we look at the focus of Israel in these last days, God is working. And, and that's why we watch Israel very carefully. But there's going to be a time where there's going to be a new Jerusalem. And, and so this world, a fallen creation, this heaven, this Jerusalem, will, will continue to cause upheaval. It's going to pass away. As we know that it's going to be made new, predicted by the Old Testament prophecies. Isaiah chapter 65, verses 17 through 19. We read, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create a Jerusalem as rejoicing and her people a joy. In Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27, I'll read it to you. 
of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, all of them will grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them, and they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. I know that there are those who, and I've heard the teachings on it, that there are those who will say that, particularly those who hold to perhaps a kingdom now theology, or perhaps they hold to that there's no rapture of the church, no millennium reign, that they say that the earth's just going to be renewed. That's what's going to take place. And I don't think the Bible teaches that at all. Uh, it's, there's going to be a whole new earth, a whole new Jerusalem, a whole new heaven that's going to be created by the Lord. Because we have seen, again, that the Bible is very clear that the, the heavens and earth are going to go away in a great noise, in a fervent heat, uh, that it will pass away. There was no place found for them. That's pretty clear in the scriptures that it's not just renewed, but there's going to be a whole new heaven and earth and, and a, a new Jerusalem, a better heaven, a better earth, a better Jerusalem. And, and it's going to be much better and glorious than what we have ever known or seen. Notice as we read in these verses, verse 1 tells us that there will be no more sea. So for those of you who love the oceans, you know, and surfing and all of that, don't worry, all right? It's still going to be glorious and wonderful. I've never been a big ocean person because, you know, I didn't grow up by the ocean. But I know some of you, you have. I enjoy the ocean when I'm there. Uh, we went to Hawaii once, Sue and I, for our 25th wedding anniversary. I loved the ocean. It was warm. It was cool. It was wonderful. But here in the new heaven and the new earth, uh, there's going to be no more sea. Uh, it's still going to be wonderful and glorious because we're going to be with God, verse 3. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Isn't that glorious when we're in the presence of the Lord for all eternity? And that's really what makes heaven heaven. The fact that the Lord's going to be there, and there's going to be no more suffering, and no more death, and no more pain. The former things have passed away, and, and I like what it says here as John records that he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. I make all things new. You know, that's not only true for the new heaven and new earth and the new Jerusalem that we're going to read about here, but it's true for us spiritually. And I want to remind you that Paul, as he is writing to the Corinthian believers in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And to remind you that when we come to Christ, everything becomes new. And we can put everything under the blood of Jesus Christ and to move forward in Christ. We have a new heart. You know, we have a new attitude, a new perspective on life, uh, 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 how we see things. It's all new, isn't it? Because I remember that when I got saved, how everything was different. And my heart changed. And, and, and it just felt like the weight of the world was off of me. And I felt alive for the very first time. And it is so true in Ephesians chapter 2. It says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. 
we're dead. We may be, you know, walking around. If physically we're alive, but spiritually we're dead. And when I came to Christ, and I know many of you, you have that testimony that you came and you, you know, all of a sudden things are new. All of a sudden, you know, it's just like instant change. And I just felt like the weight of the world was off me. Saw things differently. Old things have passed away. The old life, the old hangouts, they're past. Our sins put under the blood of Jesus Christ. But notice also about this new Jerusalem descending out of heaven. And John uses the most striking and beautiful image that that he can think of. The most beautiful thing that a man will see is his bride coming down the aisle. When a man gets married. Ready to, to meet him. John says, this is how beautiful the new Jerusalem will be. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And as I mentioned, that we will dwell with God and, and he's going to wipe away our tears. But what amazes me is that God wants to dwell with us. He wants to spend eternity with us. I mean, think about that. He wants to spend eternity with us. And he went to such measures so that you and I can be with him forever that he sent his own son to come and die for us. Isn't that amazing? The love of Christ that he has for us. And listen, if you ever doubt the love of Jesus Christ for you, go to the cross and see Jesus dying for your sins. And he went to that depth to send his son to die for you and for me, to be uh, the lamb that was led to the slaughter because he loves you and he wants to spend eternity with you. Never doubt the love of God. And when I see in verse 5 here, this authoritative announcement coming from the throne of God itself, I make all things new. And he said, right, for these things are true and faithful. And then he gives an invitation. And after the invitation, he then gives a warning. And he said to me in verse 6, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God. And he shall be my son. And verse 8, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, this is the warning, the abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I'm the alpha and I'm the omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give of the fountain of the water of life. And of course, we saw in chapter 1 that John, he sees Jesus standing in the midst of seven golden lampstands, as I mentioned. And he declares himself to be the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. And I will give of the fountain of water of life freely here. As it reminds us of Isaiah 55, who says, Ho, come drink freely of the waters the living waters that he has for us. In John chapter 7, we know that Jesus on the last day of the feast, that he stood there at the temple and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost will flow torrents of living water. 
You know, it was interesting that Jesus said that right at that time when the priests would be uh, bringing jars up during the Feast of Tabernacle, which is, of course, that feast, and they just celebrated it. And, um, and um, in that feast they just had recently, and the Feast of Tabernacles in Jesus' day, that it was like a big camp out. People would come, and they call it the Feast of Booths, and they would set up these lean tunes and these tents, and they would remember how... The Lord brought them through the wilderness and, and provided water for them and manna from heaven. And so the priests would have this procession to go from the temple down to the pool of Siloam and they would fill up their jars of water and then come back and they would pour it on the pavement of the, the you know temple mount, the courtyards that were there where the people were all there worshiping and it commemorated how God provided water for them as they were going through the wilderness. But on the last day of the great feast, they would go down to the pool, they would come back, but they didn't have their jars full of water. They, they would just kind of uh, dump, you know, and, and no water would come out. It commemorated when they came into the promised land that that water from the rock stopped, that he had provided for them as they came into the promised land. And it's at that time that Jesus stood up and said, if any of you thirst, come to me and drink. And out of your belly will flow torrents of living water, of course, speaking of the Holy Spirit. We know that as uh, Jesus would say to that Samaritan woman there in John chapter 5, that if you drink of Jacob's well, this well, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I have to give, that is living water, you'll never thirst again. And of course, in John chapter 6, that Jesus told the crowds up in the Galilee, he said to them, come eat of me and drink of me. People thirst in this world. And they go after the water of the world, what the world has to offer them, and they continually thirst. That's why you see what's the latest fad, what's the latest philosophy, what's the latest trend to make us happy, you know, and everybody's looking for that happiness. Everybody's looking for that satisfaction. But it seems like that man never really finds it because they're drinking of the well of the world. And when we realize, when we come and we drink of Jesus, the living water, he said, you'll never thirst again. That he is our satisfaction. That he's the one that will quench that thirst that's in our soul of satisfaction and fulfillment. Jesus is the source. You've got to go to the living water. So I want to ask us all a question here tonight. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Are you thirsting in your soul and in your heart? And I want to encourage you to draw closer to the Lord. You know, physically when we're thirsty and when it's hot and you go for a hike or you're working outside or do a workout, there's nothing like fresh, cool water, you know, that you drink. And then for our soul and for our spirit, as you find yourself being tired, as you're working through life, as you're laboring, as it seems like you're just, you know, journeying through life, you, you know, you, you got to go to the source. When you're thirsty after a workout, you don't stick gravel in your mouth. I see people sticking the dirt of the world in their mouth all the time, and they wonder why they're thirsty. Listen, go to Jesus. The invitation is given to drink 
of the living waters freely that he has for you. And the declaration of Jesus here is, it is done. Now, you might recall that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. It's summed up in Jesus. And here it's declared it is done. Now, you recall that when the seventh bowl was poured out in Revelation chapter 16, that a voice from the throne of God said, it is done. It was Jesus on the cross that said, it is done. It is finished. And now in chapter 21, verse 6, we read, it is done. And verse 7, he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Now, we know the definition of an overcomer. Remember in the seven letters to the seven churches that there was a promise given to each one of those churches to he who overcomes. There was an eternal promise that was given to them. And, and as we, we looked at that, it was very wonderful. But the definition of an overcomer is given to us in 1 John 5, 5, that who is he who overcomes? He he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So if you're a believer, you are an overcomer. And he who overcomes, you and I as believers shall inherit all things. Isn't that incredible? We have a godly inheritance. We were adopted sons and daughters of the living God. And we have a godly inheritance, an eternal inheritance. And listen, nothing in this world is worth replacing or putting above or prioritizing over the things of the Lord and, and just living for him. We have a godly inheritance. And you may be here thinking, I don't have two dimes to rub together at the end of the month or at the end of the week. It's so hard. We don't have much of anything. You are richer than anybody in this world. I don't care if they're billionaires. If they don't have Christ, they are poor. And we need to look at things in the eternal perspective and what the Bible declares. You have a godly inheritance. This new heaven and new earth and new Jerusalem, you're going to be a part of. And the godly inheritance, there is nothing worth, you know, that is more of a priority than that and living for him and being rewarded by him. And, and to, to remember this that you are rich in Christ. And you know what the amazing thing about in Ephesians chapter 1 is not only do we have an a, um, inheritance that is ours, an eternal inheritance, but I love when Paul begins to pray, and he has these prayers in the book of Ephesians. But in the very first one, he says that, I pray that the eyes of your understanding in verse 18 of Ephesians 1 uh, may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? That, that's amazing. He says, I pray that your eyes would be open, your spiritual eyes, having understanding, being enlightened, that you would be grounded and rooted in this incredible truth. And that is, you may know what is the hope of his calling. The hope of our calling, we're going to go to heaven. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? In other words, he says that we are his inheritance, you and me. Isn't that amazing? Me, Lord? Why? I'm your inheritance? He says, yeah, you're likened to a bride. How valuable you are to me. I think, Lord, you got the short end of the stick. That's for sure. 
But that's how valuable you are. And sometimes as Christians, and maybe even tonight, you may be here and you may be thinking, Lord, you, do you really care about me? I mean, I know that you love, but you just, you know, is it just kind of a general love? You love everybody. And, but do you really love me? Do you really care for me? Am I really valuable to you? And this chapter answers that. The scripture answered that. That we are his inheritance. As we read this, we know that the Bible talks about, you know, how important we are to him. There's nothing that will separate us from his love. And we are going to be his bride. And we're going to be with him for all eternity. And when we go to heaven, we're going to know each other. You know, we're not going to need, need name tags, you know. People ask me that all the time. Will we know each other? First Corinthians 13, then I shall know just as I am also known. I don't think we will really know each other, really know each other until we get to heaven. And then we're going to know each other more intimately, better. We're going to have those new glorious bodies in verse 9, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. So the angel showing John this new Jerusalem in greater detail called the lamb's bride. John carried away in the spirit. This is the third time that this has happened. And, and as we continue having the glory of God, verse 11, her light was like the most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the Israel, of the children of Israel, three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them was the name of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Interesting. So it speaks of the glory of God, her light like uh, a precious stone, like jasper stone, clear as crystal. Uh, jasper is our diamond. That's why it's clear. And then John is struck here just by the glory of the city. It has the glory of God. There's 12 gates with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And there's going to be an angels there um, that are going to be at each one of the gates, not Peter. You know, we hear the pearly gates and the jokes of Peter. In this new heaven and new Jerusalem, there's going to be 12 gates and there's going to be the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, three on each side. I just wonder if it's going to match what we read in Numbers chapter 2. You recall Numbers chapter 2, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they were come out, as Exodus says, in orderly ranks. It just was not just a mass of people coming out and wandering, you know, through the wilderness. They were to leave in orderly ranks. And then when they set up the camp, the tabernacle would be in the middle and the tribe of Levi would be there, Moses and Aaron. And then on the east side, there was three tribes, Judah, Issachar, Zebulon. And then on the south side, Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. On the west side, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. And then on the north side, Dan, Neptali, and Asher. And I just wonder if that's going to be the names, what we saw in Numbers chapter 2 in the wilderness is going to be the same in the new Jerusalem. 
Could be, very well could be. And then there are the 12 foundations that we read about here with the names of the 12 apostles. Now there's a debate among Bible commentators and scholars. Is Paul going to be one of those names or Matthias? Remember Judas? He hung himself, the betrayer. In the book of Acts, we see that Peter says, hey, the scripture says that there needs to be one to replace his office. He's quoting, I believe, from Psalms. And, and so they cast lots, and it fell on Matthias. He became one of the 12. So there are some Bible scholars and teachers that say, well, Matthias really shouldn't have been one of the 12. It really should have you know, been Paul, and Peter should not have cast lots. The Bible doesn't say that Peter should not have cast lots. But what is interesting, when you go to Acts chapter 6, when there was a problem with the distribution of food to the widows, it says that the 12 got together and they would ordain deacons, the first deacons that we have in the early church. The, the, Luke didn't write, inspired by the Spirit of God, the 11 and Matthias, you know, he really wasn't an apostle, so he doesn't count. He was among the 12. So there's a reference before Paul the apostle got saved of the 12. So it's going to be Matthias or is it going to be Paul that's going to be names on the, on the foundation? I don't know. We'll find out when we get there, right? But that's one of the things that is discussed. It, it's, you know, it's kind of interesting to think about it. There's going to be a wall that says, why the wall? We don't know. It's not for protection like they had walls in ancient cities, like they have walls today. Um, it's not for that. It's not to keep people out because the unrighteous will not be there. And, and so this description given of the city, it continues in verse 15. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured, verse 17, its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. So the city seems to be laid out in a square, in a cube. The height and width are equal, 12,000 furlongs. It's best guess that scholars say is about 1,500 miles you know, long and 1,500 miles wide. Uh, we don't just live on it. We live in it. It's the size of the moon. That's descending out of heaven. This new Jerusalem suspends in the air. It descends out of heaven. It's unlike any city, huge golden planet. No sea. It's, it's headquarters, in other words. I remember the first time that I went to Israel, that in the hotel that we were staying in, there was a big mural, a painting of the new Jerusalem descending out of heaven. It was a really cool painting. And I can remember even to this day, even though it was many, many years ago, the new Jerusalem. The owners of that hotel were Christians, and, and, and it was an incredible painting. But it's, it's like the, the moon in a cube, and we live in it, and we'll be a part of it. And, and then it continues. The construction of its wall was of jasper in a city of pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire. So you can read through verse 20 all these different stones that are, are mentioned 
mentioned there. And then verse 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. So you can look up all these that are listed here, these 12 stones that are, are listed there in verses uh, 19 and, and 20. You can look it up in a gem book and you, you can see what they look like, the beautiful colors, the different tones. And then the gates will be uh, a giant pearl. The streets are made of pure gold. The, the stones, the, the pearl, the gold, it's not meant to give the impression just of wealth and of luxury, but it's to point to the glory and the holiness of God. And so wonder it was Abraham that looked forward to the city whose maker and builder is God. And it also speaks of God's grace. Do you know that? Because I look at this city, the jasper, the diamond, and it reminds us that a diamond is made by a piece of coal under pressure in heat for a long time. But then it becomes a thing of beauty. And maybe you're here tonight and you feel like you've been under pressure. Maybe you feel like you're just a lump of coal to the Lord. And all the pressure and, and, and as you go through it and heat that you've been through, the, the, the heat of trials and difficulties, listen, the Lord wants to make you a thing of beauty. He wants to show you his grace and sufficiency every single day as he's doing a work in you. The pearl, you know what a pearl is. Every time we walk through the gates, we will remember the grace of God because a pearl is a piece of dirt that gets into an oyster and, and that oyster begins to secrete a liquid, a substance, and it becomes a pearl. And, and sometimes they think, Lord, I'm just kind of like this irritating sand, this piece of dirt, you know? And, and yet you make something beautiful out of it because of your forgiveness and your incredible grace. And Jesus would declare to the people in Matthew 13 that the kingdom of God is like a pearl great price of, of one who, who found it, gave all that he had, that he may buy it and have that great pearl uh, of, of great price. Listen, you are a thing of beauty to the Lord as you just look to him and submit to him and give yourself to God. And he doesn't just see you as a piece of dirt. He doesn't just see you as a lump of coal. He doesn't just see you as something irritating. But he desires to do that work of beauty in you as you just look to him and surrender to him day by day. And if there's anything that you get out of this lesson today, it is that because he wants to spend eternity for you. He wants to spend eternity with you. And the gold here, as we look at the gold, <laughs> you know, people work so hard for gold. They strive for it. One of the most valuable things on the earth, it's going to be used as asphalt in heaven. We're going to be walking on it. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need 
of the sun or the moon to shine in it. The glory of God illuminated the Lord, the Lamb is his light. <clears throat> no temple. It's New Jerusalem everywhere. It's the glory of God. It's, it's all the presence of God. We'll be in fellowship with God. Heaven will be a place of worship. Our focus will be totally on the Lord and, and true worship. There'll be no moon, no sun, just the brilliance and beauty of the Lord. And then as we finish, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in his light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by the day. There shall be no light night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall be no, by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or lie. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So the gates are never shut. It's in the kingdom, no night. Nothing to defile will go in because of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Notice here, interesting, uh, what we read. And the nations and those who are saved shall walk in his light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. There seems to be indication there's going to be nations, and, and, and there's going to be kings. What exactly that is meant by that, we don't know. And they're not going to be like today. They're going to be all under the subject of God. They're, nothing's going to defile, but it seems to indicate there's nations, there's kings. It's a mystery. We don't know exactly how that's going to be. But, but here we see this, this access into the city. It's going to be so glorious. And as we close here, it's so wonder that Jesus would say to his disciples on the night before he went to the cross, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And in my house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go and prepare a place for you that where I come, you will come. And, and I will meet with you and you with me. And then you'll be with me for all eternity. Don't be troubled in your heart. I go and prepare a place for you. That where I am, you will be also, is what he says. Are you troubled tonight? <clears throat> Keep an eternal perspective. Keep your eyes on eternity. And know that we have a wonderful, wonderful future. You know, this life right now is the worst that it gets for us. Because it only gets better. The Lord's going to come for us, whether our bodies wear out or the rapture of the church. We're going to be with him in heaven. We're going to come back with him. We're going to rule and reign in the millennium reign. And then we're going to be with him for all eternity in this new Jerusalem, this new heaven and new earth. And we're going to see next time, we're going to wrap it up as he, again, he just gives us that glorious promise as we finish the book next time. But we have a wonderful, wonderful future. Keep your eyes on eternity. Amen. Amen. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this lesson here. And, and Lord, I pray that it would never lose its impact. We could read this over and over again, the promise that we have of eternal life in Christ. And, and so, Lord, thank you. Uh, thank you that we can know what our future is because there's so many people that are so stressed out and worried about the future. And I know that... that there are things ahead that perhaps trouble us or we wonder about. But we can know that we're in your loving hands, Lord. You love us. And we are your inheritance. We have a heavenly inheritance that is ours. You sent your son to die for us so we can spend eternity with you because you wanted that. 
you wanted us to be with you, and we are going to be with you, those of us who are in Christ, those of us who surrender our lives and come and receive forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ, who have come and put our faith and trust as him as Lord and Savior, because he is the only salvation that is available to any man or any woman. It's not ourselves or any church or trying to be good or being religious. It is coming and surrendering our lives to him. So I want to pray if there's anyone that happens to be here tonight. Maybe you're listening on live stream or on the radio later. And you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. He is your salvation. Jesus said, come. Believe in me. He said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And as you come and recognize that you need to be forgiven because we have sinned. The Bible says all of us have sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And that's why we need the cross of Calvary. We need to come and recognize and confess that we are sinners and change directions to repent and give our lives to Jesus. He loves you so much. This world is not your hope. And living for yourself, you're just going to be thirsty in your soul and in your heart. Come of the living waters and drink freely. And that means come by faith and crying out to the Lord for forgiveness, for him to be your your personal Lord and Savior. And those who are in Christ, all things become new, a new creation in Christ, a new beginning, a new heart. Will you do that if you've never done that? He loves you. And you can pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I am a sinner and I believe you died on the cross for me and that you're alive, you rose again. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. That you sit upon the throne of my heart. And Lord, I thank you for hearing my prayer and forgiving me and bringing me into the family of God. That I can have the spirit of adoption. That I can now say, Abba, Father. And I want to know you and walk with you. I thank you for this new beginning in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer as we close here in just a minute, I want you to come up. There's a prayer team. Tell them the decision you made. But for all of us, may we keep eternity in our hearts. Even as your word says that you've put eternity into our hearts. And Lord, may we always have just that that eternity that we remember even in the difficult times and knowing that you're wanting to do a marvelous work in our lives. And I do pray for those who are under pressure, for those who are going through times that are of heat, difficulty, fire. But during those times, you can make a thing of beauty in our brokenness, in our loss, Lord, that you are working and you won't abandon us. And there's nothing that can separate your love from us. So I pray you bless everyone here as we go our way. 
and Lord, rejoicing in you and what great things you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you please stand?